Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Welcome. For those of you that have kind of been around Fellowship College for, for a little while, you probably know this about me, what I'm about to say. But for those of you that are near or that are new here, uh, there's something you need to know about me, something that, that's deeply ingrained in me. For the first at least half of my life, for most of my growing up, I was the chubby kid. Like when it came to my friend group, when it came to my youth group, uh, when it came to like school and sports teams and all those things, like I was, that was like my label. Like I was known as the chubby kid. This is, this is me maybe in like middle school. Um, and it was just kind of like a part of my identity was I was, I was the chubby kid. And people would, would kind of joke about it and talk about it. I remember even as early as first grade, it's one of my earliest memories, we had to do this, this project and my best friend drew this picture. And he was so excited to show me. He was like, it's hanging up on my fridge. So I go to his house after school and sure enough, there's his, his, his fridge and just one picture on his fridge. And it's two stick figures, kind of. One of them's a, a, a true stick figure like you would imagine. And the other's a stick figure with a, with a big circle around this, this midsection. And I, I'll never forget the caption, what it said. So simple, so poetic. He said, I have a friend, his name is Josh, he is big. And as funny as, funny as that is, that, that has like stuck with me for a long time. And, and I, would, I would get made fun of and I would like get kind of like call these things. And I, every time a teacher or a parent or anyone would kind of hear someone saying about that, they would, they would say this classic line, maybe you've heard it before, they'd say, you know, like, sticks and stones may break my bones. How do you finish it? But words will never hurt you. And they try to use that as like this, this sort of like encouragement, like just, hey, brush it off, dust it off. Yeah, here's the crazy thing. I know we're getting real like too fast. I know we're supposed to be like funny, but here's the real thing. 15 to 20 years later, when I look into the mirror, I still see that, that stick figure with a big circle. Just because of a few words that were said to me for years of my life, just because of, of some of it wasn't even malicious, some of it wasn't, was just like a, supposed to be a harmless joke, and yet some of those things were so ingrained. And so tonight, as we continue on through the book of James, I just wanna, wanna ask the question, is that saying true? Do words matter? And what's their purpose? And so if you were here last week, Jacob walked us through chapter two showing that our works, with a K, our works revealed what we believed. What we do reveals whether we have genuine faith or not. And today, James is just continuing on that same thought. We're, we're literally picking up 
right where Jacob left off, and he's just changing one letter. Instead of our works revealing what we believe, our works revealing our faith, it's gonna be our words that reveal what we believe. Our words reveal our faith. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna start in verse one of chapter three, and here's how James kicks it off. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Right off the bat, we're seeing that there is at least some sort of weight to what we say. As, as a teacher, as a preacher, when I, when I see this verse, it, it really makes me timid. I, when I'm kind of like hanging with people, I don't really have a filter. Like I'm kind of like, what you see is what you get. I'll probably say the first thing that comes out of my mouth. And then I read a verse like this and it causes me to pause a little bit. James right off the bat wants us to know that our words have weight. And so what we say matters. So he continues kind of showing us why our words matter. Verse three, he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. So here James is giving us two real life examples of why what we say matters. And the two examples that he's giving, one is of a horse, a large animal that's very powerful, but it can be steered and controlled and guided with the tiniest bit of metal in its mouth. Even though these horses are huge, they can be steered and controlled with just the smallest bit that they put in, your, in its mouth. And in the same way, a ship, these large ships that sail across oceans and seas can be controlled and steered by a tiny rudder at the back of the boat. This tiny thing compared to the size of the vessel determines where it's gonna go. And what James is trying to show us here is that words are powerful, and words have the potential for good. Like, think about the productivity that comes by, by horse or by ship. Like, like, words have the potential to really build up. And I, I, the, the most clear I've ever seen this in my life was I, I worked at a camp called Canacook. Some of y'all know and I'm from California, and so I, I heard about Canacook in the most bizarre ways. Nobody from California goes to Canacook, like nobody. I'd never heard of it, didn't know what it was. I even mispronounced it for like a full year because I had, I had no idea what it was or where it was. And then in college, I was dating a girl who grew up going to camp, grew up wor or, or worked at camp in college, and she was like, hey, you should come out and work at camp with me. So like, great, I got nothing else to do, let's do it. Little did I know, she 
I, she drives me up to camp. She drops me off. She says, oh yeah, hey, by the way, I'm working at a camp that's an hour away. And so you're about to turn in your phone. We'll probably hang out at some point this summer, but like, we'll figure it out as we go. She, she drives away and I'm left there. I turn in my phone. I don't know anybody. And the second I turn in my phone, they hand me a weed eater and they say, hey, there, any, anywhere you see weeds around the camp, like, get to work. And I just weed eat for an entire day. Don't know a single person, have no idea what's going on, no phone, and I'm just like exhausted. Go to dinner, eating by myself. Feels like everyone else is having this huge reunion in the dining hall. And I'm just like, what did I get myself into? This must be just a huge mistake. I sh like, I shouldn't be here. This is, this is terrible. So I go to bed that night and I can't sleep. I'm so filled with fear and anxiety and I just, I, I can't sleep. And the whole night, all I'm thinking about is, okay, what do I need to say to the director to convince them that like, this was all a big mistake. I need to get a, a plane ticket out of here and go back to California because clearly I don't belong here. And so the next morning I'm, I'm sitting at, at the table and by myself and I'm just like waiting for the director to walk in so I can have this conversation. And then out of the blue, this guy on leadership named Andrew Jones comes up to me. He just goes, what's up, man? How you doing? How you feeling? And I just like word vomit everything that I've been thinking for the last 24 hours about how terrible this is. I shouldn't be here. This is a huge mistake. And in just a few simple words, he just goes, man, that sucks. I'm so sorry. That is a lot. But what if, what if God has you here for a specific reason? And what if he wants to do something through you this summer and maybe in you? Would you even consider that? He's like, hey, can I pray for us? And as he was praying for me, I swear, I've never, I've, I've never felt this experience before, but this weight, this giant weight that I had, had on my shoulders just like melting away. And that summer, to this day, was the most impactful and influential summer of my life. That's the summer that the Lord called me into ministry. That's the summer that I saw what community looked like for the first time. And that, because of that summer, I ended up becoming a pastor. And so if it wasn't just for a few encouraging words from a guy on leadership, I wouldn't be here on this stage today. What James is trying to say is that your words, what you say, it matters. What you say has the power to build up, the power to encourage, the power to change lives, that there's purpose behind it. But then there's also a flip side of that coin. He continues in verse five. He says, in the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I know these are strong words, but the picture, again, he's trying to portray is that 
In the same way that our words have the ability to build up and encourage and give life, our words also have the ability to tear down and to destroy. And every single fire, whether it's big or small, is started with just the smallest spark. Like I said, I grew up in Southern California, and one thing we're known for is, is fires. This may seem like just your normal Google image, and it 100% is, but what's different about this is that this picture was actually taken less than a mile from the house I grew up in. And probably close to a dozen times in my life, when I would look out my window, this was the view that I saw. You'd be driving to school and on the radio, they'd be talking about some campfire that kind of got out of control and that they were trying to contain. And then by the time you got out for lunch, you'd, you'd step outside and you'd see the hills, the hills behind us covered like this in flames. In a few short hours, the fire that had just started as this little campfire had got out of control and it become this massive forest fire. And there's like, I kid you not, like ashes like raining, raining down, like ashes just falling from the sky. And this tiny, this tiny spark would set the entire hills on fire. And this, this is the weight that James is trying to convey to us, that our words have the power to destroy, even if they seem flippant, even if they seem like they don't really matter. In fact, I one time ruined somebody's day with just two words. And if you can beat that, come, come talk to me after. But with two words, I completely ruined someone's day, maybe, maybe even their week. When I was growing up, we had this youth group where I kind of had a pretty close group of friends and one, one Sunday morning in high school, we were kind of waiting for, for the music to start. We were kind of waiting for everything to get going. And me and my friends were kind of joking around. And, and one of the girls that we were friends with started coming up to us. And her and her family had grown up at this church. Everyone knew their story. And her mom had battled cancer for years and then had, had recently passed away. So everyone, everyone's aware of this, everyone knows this. And so she comes up, she comes up and is like, hey, will one of y'all save me a seat? And without even thinking, I said, how about I save your mom a seat? And I kid you not, as the words are coming out of my mouth, it's one of those like, like, can I, can I grab these? And like, please, there's gotta be a way to like bring these back. And all my friends around me are just like, they all scatter. And she, you just see it, tears starting to well up, head down, and she leaves. I was like, oh my gosh, with two words, your mom. Two words. I completely ruined her day completely tore her down and destroyed her. There wasn't even malintent there. Just a couple flippant words and I completely destroyed her day. This is the weight that James is trying to convey to us. 
And now some of you may have seen this on campus a few weeks ago. One of y'all sent me, sent me a picture with, with this protest or rally, whatever you wanna call it, that was going on on campus. And let me tell you, I don't get angry very easily. Like it takes a lot to kind of rile me up, maybe on the golf course, but besides that, like it takes, it takes a lot to like really stir me up and rile me up. When I saw this, like, like I wanted to go like punch through some walls. Like I, this kind of stuff drives me insane. When somebody claims to be a follower of Jesus and yet uses his word and twists it and manipulates it and uses his word that's supposed to be used to build up and instead uses it as a weapon to tear down and destroy. That's what makes me wanna rage. And so for any of you in, in the room that, that saw this or, or walked by this or was like affected by this, I just need, need you to know that this is not how Jesus feels. This is, th- these are not Jesus's words. And for what, it, for what it means, our staff here does not condone this, does not feel this. This is not how followers of Jesus should use their words or should act. And it's completely unacceptable. But it proves the point that, that, that words can, can so easily be twisted and manipulated and what was once used to build up can be used to, to put down, can cause shame and hate. And so words, they, they, they matter. What we say, the words that come from our mouths, our tongues, they, they matter. But not only do they matter because they're powerful, but they also reveal something deeper. They expose something inside of us that maybe wouldn't be seen to the naked eye. So here's how James continues. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The very first thing that our words, that our tongues reveal is that even for those following Jesus, there is some sin, some evil, some wickedness that, that still dwells within us. James, I think, is trying to play off of his brother Jesus here in this passage and trying to show that out of, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when, when our words are full of destruction and evil and wickedness, it's a reminder that there's still sin inside of us that needs to be sanctified. And what James is trying to do throughout this whole letter is trying to call us to a higher standard than maybe what we're living. Trying to call us to the standard of Jesus that, that even what we say needs to be purified. Even what we say needs to be watched carefully. This is, a, this is a warning. And so this passage is not about cussing. It's not about, uh, it's not about swear words. But let me, take, let me just take a quick, quick time out, a quick pause. 
I'm not, I'm not anti-cussing, I'm not anti-swear, you're not gonna hear like a big lecture from me. Here's all I wanna say. If out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, we need to be careful what we're putting in because what we put in ends up coming out. And so I'm not gonna tell you what to listen to. I'm not gonna tell you what to, to watch or not watch. I'm not gonna tell you who you need to hang out with or who you, who you shouldn't hang out with. All I'm trying to tell you is be mindful of that. Be aware that that does play a part. That what you listen to, what you watch, who you hang out with, who you spend the majority of your time with, does end up affecting what you believe, what you think, what you feel, and then what you say. And so James is showing here that our words reveal something much deeper. They reveal our wickedness. And specifically, he'll go on to say that what that wickedness looks like is hypocrisy. In verse nine, he says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is showing that even in the life of a believer, even for the Christians in the room, there's this hypocrisy. There's this, this battle for, for good and evil and what we believe and what we think and then ultimately what we will say. He's saying in the same breath, you can praise God and then turn around and curse someone, put somebody down that is made in God's image. This always makes me think of when I lived in Dallas. So when I first got married, my wife and I, we moved into this like 800 square foot studio apartment in downtown Dallas, which was great. But part of that was I had this, this kind of commute to work. And part of that commute was this thing called the Dallas North Tollway. For my Texas people, you know your tollways really well. And so I'd have, I'd have some of these mornings like early on in marriage where it was like, I'd get up early, I'd make my little pour over cup of coffee, single origin, of course. And I'd, I'd open up my Bible, I might journal and pray. And it was like, sometimes it'd like be to the point of tears of just like, wow, God, you're so good. Thank you for, for all you've provided. Thanks for what you've given me. Thanks for reminding me of this, this mission and this purpose that I'm, I'm here for. Like this kind of like cloud, like this like high, spiritual high moment of like, oh my gosh, God is so good. And I'd pack everything up. I'd get in the car, head on, on the Dallas North Tollway, which by the way, you're, like you're paying money to go faster. Like that's the whole point. Like I'm paying money so that I can get to a place faster. And yet, without fail, there's some slow drivers or there's a wreck or there's something going on that is like bumper to bumper traffic. And less than five minutes after I'm just like thanking God for how good he is, 
every curse word in the English language is like going through my head about how incompetent of drivers they are, how terrible, like I can't believe I'm paying for this. Are you kidding me? Like this is insane. I want to like flip everybody off. Like I'm just like, I want like a, a machine gun and just like, like flip everybody off that I'm driving by and just like tear them to pieces. Five minutes, five minutes after I was just like, wow, God, you're so good. I'll never sin again. I'll never, I'll never doubt you again. You're so good. And then it's just like, like, who is this? This is what James is saying here. In each one of us believers and non-believers, there's this battle. There's this battle between our words, what, what, what builds up and what tears down, what's meant for good, what's meant for evil. And so when we see this, we have a couple options. If you're like me, my first instinct is to just be filled with like guilt and shame and just be like, man, maybe, maybe I don't believe, maybe, maybe I'm not really a Christian, like maybe I, I just gotta clean everything up and then like, I'll, like, then I'll be good. But I don't, I don't think that's what James wants us to do with this. I do think he's calling us to a higher standard. I do think he wants us to see that our words are, are, are really important. I do think he, if he was speaking to a room like this, he would want everybody here to leave knowing that what you say in your fraternity, sorority, apartments, dorms, has the power to build up, has the power to encourage. Even if you may be perceived as soft because of it. I wanna encourage you, be soft, if that's what that means. James wants us to live this out. But when we do fail, and we will, he wants to point us to something better. And so we're gonna wrap up where we started, back in verse two. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Quick reminder, the person writing this letter has spent more time with Jesus than maybe any other person in human history. James has heard more words out of Jesus's mouth than any other person in human history. And he's saying, all humanity can see their own wickedness just by what they say. That if you listen to somebody long enough, you'll see that that even in the best of us, even in the best out there, there's, there's some sort of gossip or slander, or name-calling, or hatred, or a desire to tear people down so we could feel better about ourselves. Even in those Christians out there that you're like, wow, like we put them on some sort of pedestal. Even in those, if you spend enough time with them. And James wants to point us to, to the only one, to the only one that has never failed in what they've said. They've never sinned in what they said. In fact, Peter writing about this, says it like this. 
talking about Jesus. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He's quoting uh, the prophet Isaiah here. He said, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If you don't see anything else tonight, please look at this. That Jesus, at his weakest, the last days of his life as he was being beaten, mocked, spit on, crucified, could have easily retaliated with the truth, could have easily put the people that were cursing him down and put them in his place. He could have easily done that. And yet what he does is the exact opposite. Some of the last words that he says before he's crucified, as he's looking at the people who are mocking him, he turns to the father and says, Father, forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. When he could have easily used his words to tear down, instead, he used it to build up, to give life, to intercede on behalf of you and me. And so if you're in this room and your words would reveal some wickedness, some some sin, some evil inside of you, as we continue in worship, This is all I want you to do. I want you to continue to look to Jesus. Continue to fix your eyes on him, the word that became flesh, that was perfect in everything he said. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for for Jesus. We thank you that the words that he spoke, the words that he gives, to us bring life. Thank you that we have them even written down and recorded, Lord. I pray that this room would be a room full of men and women who saw the importance of what they say. And that we would go out here tonight and we'd use our words to build up, to encourage, to share about who you are. Lord, would you help us? Would you sanctify us? Would you even sink down into the deepest parts of our hearts that are still dark and wicked? And would you meet us there and sanctify us? And so we love you, we trust you, and pray this all in the name of Jesus, amen.